kind of hanging out here for the last little while, uh, you'd know that we're, we're in a series by, uh, from a guy named Andy Stanley. And it's a series that uh, he called Christian. And we've been looking at that same series. We're, we're about, uh, I don't know, three quarters of the way through. Uh, and the reason we've been looking at this, um, this topic is uh, there's so many people that wear the brand of Christian. They're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, but they don't have any idea what that really means. Uh, and so they, they, um, they're not exactly sure what one looks like. And so we've been, we've been kind of looking at it uh, in the Bible and saying, hey, what is a Christian and what's not a Christian? So before we get too far into it today, I want to I play a game with you, all right? So we're going to play, it, I just named it myself, it's called the Animal Yes-No Game, all right? So I'm going to show you an animal, and you just tell me, uh, just by response, if it's an animal, you would resp- reply with yes. We'll try that. So in case it's an animal, you will say? Yeah, like, like you mean it, right? So if it's an animal, you'll say? And if it's not an animal, you'll say? No. Okay, so is this an animal? Yes. Very good. And is this an animal? No. Wow, tricky one. All right, next. Is this an animal? And is this an animal? No. Good, next. Yes. Uh-huh, get that off the screen. And is this one? Oh, no. No, they're messing with me now. I forgot who's on media today. <laughs> is this an animal? No. How about this? No. <laughs> Next. Yes. And this one? Maybe. It's an animal. No. I know. I know. You're like, no. I I knew it. He was tricking me, but he was untricking me. I gotta try and think the way he thinks. Yeah, it's a crinoid or something. It's an actual animal. But some of those, um, the, the Muppet is not an animal, uh, just uh, for those of you who may have guessed. Um, but um, for, those, uh, for those of those pictures, some of those weren't all that easy for you to decide. Some of you are like, yeah, no problem. That's an animal. No, that's definitely not. But for some of them, you're like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not really sure. And that's basically the idea of this whole series. When people look at us as Christians, would they say, ah, yes, that's definitely, he's a Christian. Or, I, I don't, nah, maybe. We want to make it really easy for people to know. When people look at us, they would say, yeah, that's a follower of Jesus Christ. I know why. Because we've talked about the checklist. They love one another. They live lives of love. They love people. They have um, this uh, way of doing life with grace and truth. They, uh, they're, they're not judging everybody outside of the family of faith anymore. They, they, they follow after what um, Jesus has talked about. What's a Christian and what's not? And the reason why it's complicated, the reason why there are those times where you're like, you hear about this guy at work who you've known for 10 years, and then all of a sudden after 10 years, you find out someone else tells you he goes to their church, and you're like, what? I never knew he was a Christian. Or you see somebody that you've gone to church with for 10 years, and then they do something real shady, and you're like, I thought he was a Christian, right? This whole idea of Christianity is so, it's so vague and so um, uh, hard to define. Everybody's got their own definition of it. So we, we, as we looked in the Bible to see what the definition of Christian is, we realized that it's only in there three times and it's never defined. Jesus never called anyone to become a Christian. He called them to do something else. Remember what it is? That's right. Be a disciple. Be a follower of him. And he clearly defined that. So we've been challenging us as a church to say, let's not settle just for being Christian. But let's, let's um, engage and, and ask our, our own hearts, am I really a follower, genuine follower, disciple of Jesus Christ? So a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus loved people. 
He loved them with grace and truth. Remember, we talked about Matthew, the tax collector, and the woman at the well, and, the, and uh, you know, the, the woman caught in adultery, and he talked, we talked about how Jesus handled all those situations. So we're going to take a look today at where he actually taught about that, uh, and how he taught um, uh, about living this life of grace and truth. So if you got your Bible and you're already at Luke chapter 15, that's uh, great. If not, we'll throw it up on the screen for, for you. And for those of you who've kind of been around church or, you know, been, uh, grew up in Sunday school, you heard this story before. You'd be like, oh, I know where this is going. Um, and uh, I want to encourage you today to try and listen to it from a different perspective. Before you say, I know how this ends, I'm checking out now, wait till coffee comes uh, at the end, and then wake me up. I want, you to, um, I want you to think about the audience that Jesus was talking to that day. He had two groups of people who were there that day, two very, very different groups of people. Um, there was one group who felt like they did not deserve um, they did not deserve God's love. They were completely, you know, undeserving of, um, of, his, of anything good from God. And then there was another side that thought they already had God's approval. They deserved it. They were the good people, and they weren't like those other guys. And so Jesus is talking to these two groups of people, and what, what he's about to tell them is that they're both wrong about how they see God. They're both wrong. And yet, he doesn't right, just come right out and say, hey, you guys are wrong, and you guys are wrong. Why? Because He's a genius communicator, and people hate being told that they're wrong. We hate it. We, we even hate to admit it ourselves. We hate being told we're wrong, and, but I think even more so, we hate having to admit that we're wrong. Uh, that's one of those things that uh, maybe, um, maybe you're with me. You know, we used to say, you know, from your own lips, you have to tell somebody, okay, yeah, you were, you were right and I was wrong. So I thought, you know, I'm going to, um, Beth, you know, there's often these times where, you know, she's right and I'm wrong uh, in, our, in our marriage, and for all the husbands, you, 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 tracking with me, right? So some, no. Um, well, I asked her uh, this weekend, I said, on Friday, I said, hey, can you, I text her, can you come up with, um, you know, one of those stories of when I, you were right, and I was wrong, and I had to, um, you know, I had to apologize and admit it, and she's like, oh, just one? Like, you know, I can come up with a hundred. I'm like, just give me the best one, and I was like, okay, and I'm thinking, then I'll ask for the second best one, because I know, I, you know, I don't want to be humiliated. So um, I ask her, and I send it out to her, and, and you know, she, I don't get any response. And so then later on, I asked her, she's like, you know, I thought about it, and I thought about it, and there just hasn't been any times. So I was like, that's even better, you know? I could just tell. There's never been in my marriage where she was right and I was wrong and had to, had to admit it. I'm like, that's perfect. Uh, so I don't have to say it. Um, but, you know, the thing that I also realized is my wife, um, she forgets a lot of things, which is so good for me, uh, is that there's been many times, times where she, she knew the directions to a place, and, and I, I didn't take it, and we end up lost. I was like, okay, you were right. I was wrong. You know, or deciding to, um, to take someone's advice. Maybe you've been in this place where you, someone gave you some advice. Maybe it's your parents, and you're like, yeah, you old people, you don't know anything. You know, I'm going to do it my way, and then later on, you're like, ugh, yeah, you were right. Don't say I told you so, but you were right, and I was wrong. We, we hate to admit that. And Jesus realized even that this, this group of people that he was about to talk to, they had a, it was a delicate, personal, um, a theological, and an emotional issue that he wanted to deal with, trying to tell two groups of people about who God is and what he's like. So instead of telling them, hey, you're both wrong about God, he says, I'm going to tell you a story instead. So he begins telling them the story. And so in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus preach. And this is this one amazing verse. If you, if you look at it, like, what's so amazing about that? What's so amazing about that is he's talking about the, the, the people 
who wanted to be listening to Jesus. And he mentions there's two groups, tax collectors. The tax collectors back then, they were like this, this group of guys who showed up in their posse of, you know, their Escalades and all tricked out. And they would get out and, and uh, they were kind of like the MLM company where, um, you know, the, the, every, every group of, um, every level takes money. And as long as Rome gets all the taxes they want, the rest of the guys can just charge down the, down the line to whoever's paying just gets totally rooked. And so these guys, they, the, the, the group um, that we're talking about, they thought these guys were so offensive, they didn't even want to lump them in the same class as sinners. They didn't want to offend the no- notorious sinners by putting the tax collectors in the, same, in the same category. These guys were like the special, there's a special place in hell for those kind of people in their, in their eyes. These were the worst of the worst. And so the tax collectors, it says, and the notorious sinners. So just think about the worst sin you can think about. All right, so you got it? You know, think of those, you know, some of those people you think about, ah. He says those are the people, and it says these are the people who came close to, who drew near to Jesus, who wanted to hear him speak. These are the people who wanted to be with Jesus. They were the ones who, um, who gathered around, and they were the front row crew. And then in the back, kind of today, if it was today, they'd be standing in the cafe, or, you know, they'd be hanging out in the, in the back rows. And, and it says there was this other group in verse 2. It says, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And in the Amplified, it says they were muttering. They're kind of on the outside edges. It's not here today. Don't look at the back row. That's not them. But it's this, this idea of people kind of muttering. They don't have the guts to tell Jesus that they're kind of offended at him, but they're just on the outside. You know, you know those people, right? They're kind of like, uh, and they're, they're, the, they're the too good for everyone else. We're not with that group. And they start complaining. Jesus, how come you accept them? How come you welcome them? Can't you see what kind of people they are? How come you're eating with them? And when he says eating with them, it's not like they went to restaurants. When they ate together, they brought somebody into their home. It was just like this personal thing where, hey, you know what? I'm going to have you into my house. And they had, they had a problem with that. They said this, this, this group of people that Jesus is hanging around with, they just couldn't get, figure it out. They couldn't, um, they couldn't figure out why people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. They couldn't figure out why Jesus, who was nothing like these people, liked these people. And it drove them nuts. And so Jesus is talking to this both these groups of people and trying to explain to them um, uh, what God is like. Explain to them how God feels about sin. He doesn't right, come right out and say it, he, but he's leading them there. He doesn't come out directly and say how God feels about sinners or how God feels about self-righteous people, but he's taking them there. And so he says to them, he, he shares a story instead, and he starts with something that they all could agree on. So he says in verse 3, so Jesus told them a story. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep, and in one of the versions said, what man of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them got lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for that one that is lost until he finds it? So they all start like, they're nodding their heads. All the tax collectors and sinners and all the, uh, the Pharisees, the religious people, they're all like, yeah, yeah, if I lost something, I'd go look for it. Because they all have that. We all would, wouldn't we? Have you ever lost something valuable? And thought, you know what, I gotta find it. I remember one, uh, we did a wedding here once, and uh, then I, I, we went, Beth and I went to Tim Hortons, and all of a sudden, somewhere in the journey, I'm like, oh, I lost my sunglasses. My favorite pair of white sunglasses that I bought at Winners for 30 bucks, valued at 120. I need to find these. I need to find these sunglasses. And so we're supposed to go to the reception. I'm like, Beth, we gotta find these sunglasses. So we drove back to Tim Hortons, and I went in there. I was like, hey, have you seen any sunglasses? White, you know, sunglasses. They kind of look like girls, but they're four men, you know. And, and they're like, no. I'm like, they're my wife's, you know. And like, no, we still haven't found. I'm like, oh. 
So I'm like looking everywhere. I'm asking people, nobody's seen them. I come back and I find them in the lost and found here. Our cleaning people had put them there already. I was like, man, thank goodness. I was so happy I stopped looking for them. I was like, I, I didn't call all my friends and celebrate, but I was just, I told Beth, we can stop looking. We found them. I was excited and we went to the wedding. Um, and I thought, man, you know, all of us have done something like that for something that we've lost. Uh, one time, well, more than one time, unfortunately, we, we've been to Great Wolf Lodge a bunch of times uh, uh, in, the, um, in the winter, and our whole family goes there, and uh, when we were leaving, uh, we had just two kids at that time, Reese and Lincoln. He was maybe two years old, and uh, as, we were, as we were hanging out there, all of a sudden, um, we're ready to leave, and we're checked out, and there's no Lincoln, and we're like, where did he go? And we thought, oh, he's just got to be hiding somewhere playing a game, but he wasn't. He was gone, and so all of a sudden, it's like, um, has anybody seen a little blonde boy about this age? And they're like, yeah, there's like 500 of them here, right? So uh, uh, what are you looking for? And we're like, our son, he's missing. And all of a sudden, code red, code blue, whatever code they call, everything's locked down. Every door gets locked. People in the parking lots are checking cars and trunks as they're leaving. And it was like this big, this big thing of um, all of Great Wolf is uh, locked down. And so then people are running. And finally, we get this call. He's down one of the hallways. He's gone all the way to the end. They find him and they ask him, what are you doing? I don't want to go home, he says, right? And, and so I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I found you. I'm going to kill you, but I'm so glad I found you, you know? And, and that's happened twice to us with this, uh, with, we don't go there anymore. But um, when we found him, we were like, man, we we're so excited. We found something of value that we had lost. And, and, and so as Jesus is telling them, they all, they're all nodding their heads like, yeah, we would do this. And then they look at each other and like, wait a second, we're agreeing with one another. Tax collectors and, and, and Pharisees, we, they don't agree on anything. And yet now they're all agreeing. They're like, yes, this is what we would do. And so it says, Jesus says, and when they find it, wouldn't they call all their friends and have a party and celebrate that they had found what was lost? I was thinking, yeah, that's exactly what we do. We'd be like, you know, especially if you're praying for something, you know, we have that here. Someone's praying for, hey, we lost a diamond and then they find it the next week in a garden and they come back and tell everybody, we found it. There's the same idea. And so then as they're thinking about this and as they're agreeing on this, Jesus says to them, do you know that that's what God's like? Do you know that in heaven, there's more rejoicing over one lost sinner who repents than over the 99 people, uh, the 99 sheep who didn't need to uh, be rescued. And they're all like, huh? So they, as they start thinking about God's kind of like that, he right away, he doesn't even stop. He just continues and tells another story for the women in the crowd about this, this um, valuable coin that gets lost and, and how she finds it and how she calls all her friends and celebrates. And they're all like, yeah, 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 you listen up. And they're looking and everybody's agreeing. And, and they never agree. And so as they're kind of thinking about God being like this, he, he tells them another story. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, he says this, to illustrate the point even further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, uh, an older son and a younger son. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with the birth order of like the firstborn children and the, and the younger children, um, uh, you know, Jesus knew this way back then. The firstborn child, uh, is there any, anybody firstborn here? You don't want to admit to it? Yes, you do, because it's actually really good. The firstborn kids are kind of like this kid right here. They're the ones who always want to please their parents. I'm a firstborn son. You know, you grow up trying to keep all the, keep all the rules and trying, and you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't like this in yours, but you know, that the ones who, um, who are the behaviors. They're trying to behave and be the, be the good kid. And, and then every, you know, family that's got an older has uh, a younger, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so one of those. So you know, the, and my family is like, we weren't allowed to date till I was 18, so I was like, I'll up that ante by choice to age 20. Some of you think I couldn't get a date. It's not how it went. But, um, you know, I, but, hey, but then my brother at 16, he's dating. I'm like, how 
goody. And I was like, I want to break the rules, but I can't. I'm a firstborn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a behavior. And, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, I'm not going to get highlights. And then, you know, because we weren't allowed. But then my brothers, they, they all got highlights. I'm like, oh, come on. Right? I'm like, I want to, but I can't. I'm a, I'm a behavior. And so Jesus starts telling this story. He says there's one, an older, a behavior. And then there's this, this other kid, the, the younger one, who's like the misbehavior, the one who you know, gets away with everything. And, and he says to them, he says this, the younger son told his father, and I wanted to say how he would have said it then. It kind of writes it here, and it's like, ah, eh, big deal. But what he had said to his dad was, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you would just die, but you just keep living, because when you die, I get half your stuff. And I just, you know, I'm tired of waiting. I, I just want my stuff, and I want it now, so um, will you give it to me? And everybody there is like looking like, what? No kid asks something like that. And Jesus, because he's making a story up, he can do whatever he wants with it. But he tells them this story, and, he, and so they're like, wow, this, this kid, like, this, this is a crazy story. And um, so the son asks for it, and everybody's offended now. Because they're all like, if my son asked me that, he'd get, like, the back of my hand, the front of my hand, and my boot, and he's out of the family, right? Nobody does that. But Jesus says even, even more so. He says, hey, you know what? The dad, he actually does it. He starts gathering his stuff. He starts trading and separating so that he can divide everything into two sections. And he gives half of it to his son. Instead of like what we would say, no, that's just wrong. Well, they're all kind of agreeing and saying, this, this just doesn't make any sense. This isn't like those chick flick movies where you watch and you know from the beginning, you quickly find out who the main girl and the main guy are. And at the end, you can just pretty much bank. They're going to end up together. So you might as well just forget the whole movie, sleep through it, wake up at the end, and they'll have happy ever after, right? You know how the movie goes. They're all sitting here listening to the story, and they're like, this story doesn't sound like any of the other stories. This, this, this does not sound like, you know, that I'm going to know where this goes in the end. So they get intrigued, and now they're listening and saying, I wonder... I wonder what's going to happen. Where is, his, where is his story going? Verse 13, Jesus says to them, he, um, he says that the sun hangs around for a little bit, but the city's not big enough. So he goes off to a bigger city, and he wastes or spends everything he had on wild living. Uh, for those of you who are the, the King James, New King James, it's the word prodigal living. But that little word wild and prodigal, all it means is lavish, excessive. He just bought everything and, and bought, lived this life that was way beyond what he could afford. He thought he could, but he couldn't. And it says shortly after, he had spent everything. So in this little short time, Jesus is telling him, this kid spent all the money that took his dad his whole life to amass, and now he's just wasted it in a, in a matter of weeks or months, and it was gone. And they're all sitting there now, and they're like angry at this kid. They, they can feel like, if that was my kid, I worked so hard for all of that. I know, like, even in my family, my dad, when he was a kid, had this little red tractor that we heard about for our whole lives. Because sometime when I was three or before I could remember, this tractor that he got when he was five and took care of it all his life, uh, then he gave it gladly to his children, and we broke it in a day. And we've heard about that tractor ever since, right? Every family get-together, the little red tractor story comes up. And we're like, you know what? He, it was, we'd feel the same way as that. We cared and cared and cared about this stuff, and then pff, this kid just threw it all away. I'm thankful he didn't disown me from the family. But um, this is where this is where this same spot is that they all feel that. And they're like, yeah, I, I get that. I can understand if that could have been, could have been me. The story gets worse. In Luke um, 15, verse 14, it says a famine hits that land. And there's no food and there's very few jobs. And this kid bounces from job to job until he, until he ends up in the ultimate extreme worst possible place the story could go. He ends up as a Jewish boy in a pig pen feeding pigs and wishing he could eat pig food. 
And all of them are sitting there going, yes, yeah, serves him right, right? They're all, they're all Jewish. They're like, yes, of course. This is exactly how this story should go. And um, as, as they're telling it, they're kind, you can kind of even think that inside, they're like, yeah, they're cheering on the inside. And they can't wait to get home. They can't wait to get home and tell their family, like, kind of like the dad from the Croods movie. If you ever saw the Croods movie where, where, the, where the kids, is, like, he explains to them, you know, don't look at anything new or you'll die, right? If you try and find any adventure, you'll die. And these dads are probably like, we can't wait to sit around our table tonight and be like, hey, kids, I heard this great story today. Listen, if you don't listen to me, guess where you end up, you know? And if you, if you disobey your father, you're going to end up in a pig pen. And it's like, this would be a great, great learning lesson for all my kids. But Jesus doesn't end the story there. So he keeps going, and, they're, and they, they um, as they're listening to him, they hear about how the son comes up with a plan. He's like, you know what? Dad's house, his servants, they get way better treatment than I'm getting here. I'm going to go back. And he, he starts making up this speech. He says, he says things like this, that um, um, he says, I, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And uh, he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Um, I've sinned against God. I'm not, I'm not a mistaker. This wasn't an accident. I've, I, I messed up my life. I've done this all wrong. Um, and he says, um, I'm not worthy of being called your son. Please hire me as one of your servants. At least I'll have a better job than where, where I'm coming from now. And so he plans, um, he plans the story. And as they're listening, they, they all know what the son deserves. They all know that he deserves to be in that place. But as he comes up, it says he comes to his senses and he, he begins to head on home. And Jesus at this point, he makes a point so clear that had he said this at the beginning, they wouldn't have agreed with him. And had he shared this thought then, they wouldn't have believed him. They would have just like said, no, I, I don't want to hear it. But Jesus says something that totally takes this story where they, they didn't see it coming. And it says in, um, in verse um, 20, so it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and was filled with dot, dot, dot. If Jesus had asked his audience that day, hey, what would the dad be filled with? Remember, the dad doesn't know why the son is coming home. He just sees in the distance the son coming home, and he says, the, he says the father saw him a long way off, and he was filled with, and every single one of those people would have said, anger. He would have been filled with anger to have to see this kid who took all, you know, who uh, completely humiliated him in front of, you know, all of the people who was obviously, you know, didn't care at all about him. Goes off, spends it all, and now he sees him coming back. And it's like they said, of course, they've got to be filled with anger. That's the only thing he should feel. A good father's going to be angry about this because it's, it's the only thing they should feel. But Jesus says this, he saw him a long way off, um, and he was filled with love and compassion. And now they're sitting there going, what? Because now they're confused. Now they, they, they gasp. They don't, they don't quite get it. They're like, every time Jesus goes off and tells one of these crazy stories, one of the people that he's talking about represents God, and one of the people represents me. And now I don't know which one is which, because I was pretty sure that the father in the story was God. But how can God be this guy who, when this son comes home, it says he wrapped his arms around that stinky son. He kissed that good-for-nothing son on the cheek. They're like, this, this is not all of them. They all agree that the dad should be angry, and yet he's not. And so the son starts his speech. In verse 20, 21, he says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And halfway through his speech, his dad just stops. says, okay, cut. You know, that, that's it. Uh, he says he stops him right there. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And uh, the father says to him, he says to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, 
put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening, and we must celebrate. We must celebrate. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost. Now he's found. And so the party began. And they're all sitting there hearing this story like, oh, Jesus, I don't care if you made that up, but that's never happening. Like, I don't know what you're getting at, but nobody throws a party. Uh, yes, maybe the dad would say, okay, after hearing the speech, I forgive you and I'll hire you. But to throw a party, like, it just doesn't make any sense. And, uh, you know, most of the time for us, if you were in kids' church or whatever growing up, this is where the story ends. You're like, yeah, that's the story of the prodigal son. Yeah, I know that. But the story's about, about more than that. This, it says at the beginning, this father had how many sons? Two. He had two sons. And the second son, he, um, he, in verse 28, it talks about what he was doing. He was, the, he was the good son. He was the behavior. So he's out behaving. He's out in the fields working for his father, working in the family business. And the day is done, and he's coming home. And as he's coming home, he can see, kind of in the distance, he can see that there's like something going on around our house. And then all of a sudden, as he can hear, he's like, he hears the music. He's like, wow, they're like, there's like, there's going to be a party or something tonight. So as he's going home, he sees the, the, this cart being dragged across, and, and on it is the fatted calf getting ready to be barbecued. And he's looking, he's like, wow, they brought in a fatted, wait a second, they killed a fatted calf. Oh man, dad's going to be mad about that. And then he's looking, he's like, wait, that's, that's Frank pulling the cart. That's our fatted calf. And, he's, and he looks and he thinks, wait, okay, it must be a party for me, because that fatted calf is for like my graduation or maybe I'm getting married today like this is there's some kind of party going on and as he gets closer he's like Frank Frank what's going on and Frank's like your brother came home and he's like what so why the party because your brother came home and he's like I thought I would see my brother on that cart you know like uh it's it, this is this isn't making any sense. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, your brother came home, so dad killed the calf. We're having a party. Everybody gets barbecue. And he's like, that's it. That, forget it. I'm not going into this party. My good-for-nothing brother, uh, is, they're having a party for him. And, and he starts getting angry. And you know what? Everyone, he put the word really in everyone's mouth that would have been sitting there because they would have all related to the older brother. If your younger brother came home after doing all that kind of stuff, there'd be this sense of, anger. There would be, he's got to prove himself. He doesn't just come home and, and get a party. And so they begin to identify with him, and they're angry. So my question to you is, have you ever met any angry Christians? You know, you grew up with an angry nun. You know, maybe had like an angry pastor. Not me, but some of those. You know, maybe had, uh, you know, maybe those TV evangelists, or maybe you went to a, you know, a church annual meeting that just was like, are these people Christians, right? Like, it's, it's just angry, and, you know, a lot of times you think, why? Why are they so angry? You know, people that look at it and go, man, these Christians are like, they seem like they're against everything. And I even feel like they're against me. Like, they, they just seem so, so angry. And Jesus realizes that both sides of people, both groups of people, they're confused because they do not understand how God loves. Today, if you've missed everything so far, don't miss this part. In Luke chapter 15, verse 28, the brother has just said this to him. The brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So his father came out and he begged him. Remember, the father represents God in this story. Comes out and begs his older son to come in and come to the party. And his son replies, all these years, dad, I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing that you asked me. And in all that time, you never even gave me a goat to have a party with my friends. Never once, Dad. And so the older brother, 
he's got his whole speech rehearsed as well. And his dad just says to him at that spot, or in verse 30, he says, and then when this son of yours, he doesn't even say when my brother, he's like, dad, when this son of yours comes home, you know, after squandering all of your hard-earned wages, dad, he squandered, I didn't want to tell you, but he squandered it on prostitutes. Don't tell mom, but that's what he did with your money. And he says, and now he comes home, and you're going to kill the fatted calf for him. So he's bellyaching about not getting a billy goat for a barbecue, and dad stops and says to him, hey, wait, son. He's like, after he's finished his speech, he says in, in this, his father said to him, verse 31, he said, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. And the older son's probably like, dad, are you like changing the subject? Because I was really talking about being just and unjust here. You, um, you, get, you, you give him the, the, the undeserving son. You give him the fatted cat. And who, what is this? You're always with me. That has nothing to do with this whole equation. So why are you saying that? And the dad would say, because that's what's most important to me. He says, you don't understand something here. You also don't understand how I love. He says, this is, no, I'm not killing the fatted calf um, because your son, um, because your brother deserves it. This is not about, you know, this is not about performance. This isn't about sowing and reaping. This isn't about, you know, which son is the better son. This is all about proximity. He says, well, you don't realize, son, the reason I killed the calf is because your brother wasn't with us and now he's with us. He was lost, but now he's found. He was gone, but now he's home. He says, what I care most about is that he is with me. And he says, I care that you're with me. I want you to come into this party as well. And what Jesus reveals to them, which I think is just so incredibly important that each of us gets a hold of, is this idea of how God loves. And it's this thought right here, that there's nothing or God cannot love you more. There's nothing you can do that can make God love you more. He cannot love you anymore. He loves you. And it says that nothing you can do causes him to love you less. God cannot love you more. Having this realization of, yeah, God loves me is what he was telling them about how God loves. And there was nothing that they could do that makes God love them less. And you know, that's really important. If you can grab that, it'll change one life, yours. But if you can grab onto this thought, it has the potential to change incredible amount of lives around you. Because if this is true, then this next statement is also true, that God cannot love others more. Who are the others in your life? Who are the others that you just have a difficult time with? They're the ones you think they, oh, they just keep screwing up. They keep messing up their lives. Because it says this, nothing that they do causes him to love them any less either. See, we can't love people the way he loves them until we know how he loves us. When we realize that he loves us that way, we realize that uh, he loves others the same way. Because if he loves me, then he loves you. If he loves me, then he loves you. He loves you. What does it mean? It said nothing causes it. Yeah, God, but they're a liar all the time. Nothing. Well, they're a gossiper. They're always talking bad about me. Nothing. That doesn't change his love for them. Yeah, but God, you know, they... Um, they're, they're a thief. They steal all the time. No, nothing. You know, well, they're, they're, they're an adulterer. They, they're a cheater. No. Uh, they're a homosexual. No. They're a murderer, God. No. They're a terrorist. No. Nothing causes him to love them any less. Those are just the people in the news today. But they're all around us. And some of us, we are them. It says that that thought is that, you know what? God never gets angry at lost things. 
you don't get angry at lost things either. You know, last time you lost your phone, you weren't angry at your phone. You were angry at you for losing your phone, but you don't get angry at lost things. So why do we get angry at lost things? Why do we get angry at people that are, that are lost? You know where that anger comes from? I close with these two, two last thoughts. That anger, if you get angry at people who, who are just lost, it comes from something called self-righteousness. Somewhere inside of us that we don't want to admit it, there's a part sometimes that says, you know what, I'm on this side. <laughs> I go to church Saturday night and Sunday morning. You know, and, and I deserve, I've been a good boy. I haven't done what they've done. I've put more in the offering. And you know what, I've been faithful to my wife. And I haven't, like, I've never spanked my kids. I've never even, you know, had an angry word about anybody today. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I'm this guy, and we, somewhere inside, subconsciously, we think we deserve, and we're, and he says, that's when we get angry, because we've, we've brought ourselves so far away from, and, and he says, he says to them, and he says, that's, you know, Jesus would say to us, that's great. That, all that stuff's been written down, but that's not what this is about. This is about me being with, with you. And he says, if we get that, if we'd get that idea, then sin would break our hearts. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make us angry. We wouldn't see someone who's, whose life is just a messed up with sin and be angry at them. We would have this just, it's heartbreaking because we know that every sin's got a gotcha and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get them at some point. It just, it's, it's heartbreaking for us. And it would be in our hearts that we realize that it breaks our hearts for them. And if it doesn't break our hearts, and we look at people who are trapped in, in that side of things where it doesn't break our hearts, there's something that he still has to do in our lives. And my prayer is that God would just stamp out the self-righteousness in each, uh, in each of us that may have it. But then there's the other side. And I want to just finish with this. If you're, if you're on the other side, maybe today you relate more to the younger brother. Maybe you're the prodigal. Maybe you know what that old term, say, you, you know, just your life, you, you, you've not been living with God. Yeah, you go to church, but your daily life is not with him. And, you know, you're tired of uh, the guilt. You're tired of the shame. You're tired of trying to medicate the emptiness away on the inside. And you realize, you know what? There's something inside of me that knows that, that I need him. And yet, you, you have these thoughts that maybe he's angry at you. He's not angry at you. He's heartbroken because he wants to be with you. Today, in this story, it's not just for them, but it's for us. That in all and everything he wants is to be with us. That today, if you say, you know what? My life is, is um, you know, it's a mess. It's empty. He just said, there's greater joy in heaven over one person who repents. Repent is simply saying, change my mind about this life because it just isn't working. I don't want to live that way anymore. It says they, they turn to Jesus. They turn to him and they come home to dad. Today, I want to throw that out there for you because you're not here by accident. Maybe you thought you came for a reason, but he's got you here for another one. That if you're here today and you realize, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm that person. I, life is not working the way that I've been doing it, and, and I'm not with God in my life. I may have fooled everyone around me, but I'm not. There's no shame in it because every single one of us was there. Every single one of us had the opportunity to come home, come back to Dad, to be with Dad. And guess what? There's a party in heaven, it says, over those who say, you know what? I'm coming home to be with you. Today, I just want to encourage you with, with that thought. And it's as simple as saying, you know what? Okay. Yeah, I, I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I want to receive forgiveness. I want to receive life, and I want to do life with you. And you can have that life. You can have that life. You can be a part of his family. And Jesus said, that's how God loves. So maybe the reminder today for us is this. That's how God loves me, and that's how God loves others. So that's how I need to love others as a disciple of him. And maybe for you today, it's that eye-opening moment of, 
wow, no matter what I've done, he loves me. Okay, God, I'm open to that love. Whichever one you are today, I encourage you as we pray together, to just take a moment, whether it's with your thoughts or whispering it to God, just to let him know which one you are and where you're at as we pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your word, and I thank you that it matters today. I want to thank you, Jesus, for giving your life, for paying for all of our, paying for all of our sins that we could be forgiven. I'm grateful for that. Father, I pray that in this place you'd help us to remember who we are and where we are. That without you, we're nothing. That um, forgiveness is, is something that you've given us and, and that your love is not conditional on us. Uh, I pray that in this place that there would just be a revelation and understanding of that as, as we decide to be followers of you, disciples that are just passionately wanting to do what you desire of us, that we would embrace this love and give this love to all those that we see and know around us. May we shine bright this week for you. May we be lights, uh, cities on a hill that, that people see us and know right away, yeah, that's a follower and I want what they have. Pray for those in this place who are struggling and wrestling with this idea of becoming a, a follower of you, that, that uh, you wouldn't let up on them, Holy Spirit, that they'd keep hearing your voice, drawing them, drawing them to your incredible, amazing love and in, into real life. Thank you for that. In your name I pray.